So Luke chapter 23, we begin at the 26th verse as we give our attention to God's inerrant and infallible word. As they led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. May God add his blessing to the reading and preaching and hearing and living of his holy word. Amen. You know, there have been many well-known conversion stories in the history of the church since the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. As you think of well-known conversions, many names probably come to mind. The Apostle Paul, Augustine, Martin Luther, Amy Carmichael, or C.S. Lewis, 
the most reluctant convert in all of England, as he spoke of himself. But the very first convert, it seems, the very first convert since the crucifixion of Jesus is someone whose name we don't even know. He is simply known as the thief on the cross. Roman tradition refers to him as Saint Dismas. Uh, But we simply don't know his name, who he was, or really very much about him at all. And yet his story has been known and cherished in the Christian church for 2,000 years. And it was directly and personally to him that Jesus spoke his second saying from the cross. Last time, if you heard it, boys and girls, the first saying was a prayer of forgiveness. Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. But that general prayer for forgiveness takes on a very specific and personal character later on in this same chapter. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In verse 43, and Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This second saying of Christ from the cross is one of promise and assurance. And you remember the scene, as you've heard it read this morning. There were three crosses that day outside Jerusalem on the hill called Golgotha or Calvary, both of which mean the place of the skull. Verse 33, when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, Jesus, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And that scene recorded in the Gospels, of course, is symbolic of all of history and all of humanity. On the right and on the left, saved and unsaved, Believers and unbelievers, repentant and unrepentant. And in the middle, the one who makes the difference, Jesus Christ. The very position of Jesus Christ on Golgotha that day was orchestrated from all eternity by the decree of God. to focus upon his son, to honor his son, and to declare the significance of the son of God and the importance of the son of God to the whole world. What a basic lesson there is in the arrangement of those crosses that day that we always need to be reminded of who is at the center of our lives. What is at the center of our lives? The center of our work, of our marriages, of our families, of our witness and work as the church, 
the center of my comfort, the center of my hope, the center of my heaven. It's Jesus. That Jesus would have the preeminence. There he is, with the criminal on the right and the criminal on the left. And Golgotha prefigures the last great day, doesn't it? Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people from one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The position of Christ on Golgotha prefigures the last great day when Jesus will judge. But the judge is also the Savior for all who trust him and turn from their sin. There is no other way to heaven than by the way of the one who said of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven, given to mankind, by which we must be saved. There is Christ at the center of those on the right and those on the left. And there is no one else in between. Mary is not in between. Muhammad is not in between. No one else but this one, the Lord Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Our text today does not merely tell us about what happened on that day so long ago. And it is not just symbolic of what will happen one day. Our text today is a call to think about our own lives today. Are you a Christian today? We will hear this word of Jesus from the cross that he spoke to the the thief that day. But it is a word for us as well today. Where am I today? Because the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Clint Eastwood was right when he said tomorrow is promised to no one. Today. And as we've already heard in Hebrews 3, today 
If you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today. Well, let's look at this second saying from the cross. And we're going to look at it carefully, briefly, but carefully, word by word. Because in the word of God, we should always remember every word is God's word. And so if your Bibles are still open, follow along. Maybe even follow along with your finger, word by word, through this saying of Jesus. In the early 1800s in Geneva, several students began a Bible study of Paul's letter to the Romans with a preacher named Robert Haldane. And by God's grace, they became Christians. And later, someone asked them how they became believers. And they said it was by means of the right index finger of Robert Haldane. Because he would ask questions. And Haldane would open the Bible and point to the word of God. And they said God used the right index finger of Robert Haldane to bring them to to faith in Christ. So let's look at this verse, Luke 23, 43. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly I tell you. Some versions have assuredly, or the old King James, verily. Literally, it's the word amen from the Hebrew word for truth and faithfulness. Beloved, what Jesus says is true. Boys and girls, what Jesus says is true. He is the God-man who cannot lie and will not lie. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? John 14, 2. Jesus doesn't lie. John, in Revelation, wrote, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Jesus never lies. John 18, Pilate said, You are a king then. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Second saying from the cross, Jesus says, Amen, I say to you. Who are you believing as you live your life? Who are you believing? Who are you believing, especially about your soul, about death, and about eternity? While he was still speaking, The Mount of Transfiguration, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. What does Jesus say? Truly I tell you, today. Today. A dictionary says of that word, this means the same day as the day of the discourse. The same day as the day of the speaking. Today, Jesus has this word to this man beside him hanging on a cross. This criminal being crucified. And Jesus says today, 
These are first, I think, words of mercy. Words of mercy. Crucifixions often lasted for days. You died from suffocation when you were crucified. That's why they often broke the legs up here so they couldn't push themselves up again to breathe. Jesus is promising this man that his earthly suffering would soon be over. But even more, this is a promise on that day of eternal blessing. Not for some far off time, for today. And that word teaches us many things about the intermediate state of people after they die. There is no soul sleep. Your soul doesn't go into some kind of suspended animation. This is a word of conscious communion and fellowship. And Jesus says today. He didn't have to wait for the last great day in the general resurrection. Today. Not a few thousand years in purgatory to get your uh, suffering to, to match your sins. No, today. To be absent from the body is to be where, said Paul, present with the Lord. The catechism reminds us the souls of believers at their death are made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory and their bodies being still united to Christ do rest in their graves till the resurrection. But their souls being made perfect in holiness do immediately pass into glory today. Today, I tell you the truth today, you, you, Jesus says, well, who is the you? Who is this man about whom we know so little? Well, we know some things and it is enough. He was a great sinner. Verse 39 literally says he was an evil doer, an e a worker of evil. The other gospels call him a robber. And here, the policeman among us would know the difference between a thief and a robber. He's not just a thief who takes things by stealth. Uh, he's a robber. There's violence with the theft. Robbery is different than simple theft. He was a robber, a violent man. Some people suggest he was even a revolutionary, perhaps even a murderer. Barabbas who is identified that way, is also called a thief, a robber, in John 18, verse 40. Whatever his crime was, he was receiving capital punishment, and he said he deserved it. He's a great sinner. But he was also a repentant sinner. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. He's a repentant sinner. His whole worldview has become reoriented. Don't you fear God? It's the fear of God. God himself is now central to his thinking. The ungodly in the Bible are described as not having the fear of God before their eyes. But this man does. 
Everything in his life is measured by a new standard. What does God think? And in light of the fear of God, he says, we are punished justly. We are getting what our deeds deserve. No rationalizations, no excuses, no blame shifting. I'm a sinner and I deserve to die. He is a repentant sinner, but he is a believing sinner. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is a great statement of faith. Simple, but great. He is acknowledging and trusting in a sinless Jesus. This man has done nothing wrong, he said. And he's trusting in a kingly Christ. When you come into your kingdom, not if, but when. One writer said, how can we explain the fact that this dying thief took a suffering, bleeding, crucified man for his God? It cannot be accounted for apart from divine intervention and supernatural operation. His faith in Christ was a miracle of grace. He knew that Jesus must save. If he was to be saved, Jesus must do it. He understood salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it's so obvious, isn't it, in his case, because he's about to die. No good works were possible for him. He had no opportunity to give to the poor and so trust in his charity. He had no time anymore to help his neighbor. He had no opportunity to go to a church service and boast in that, potentially. He would not be able to receive any sacrament. Nothing but a faith-filled, repentant prayer. Lord Jesus, remember me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. A.W. Pink said, we may notice his humble faith. He prayed with becoming modesty. It was not, Lord, honor me or Lord, exalt me. But Lord, if thou wilt but think of me, if thou wilt only look on me, Lord, remember me. And yet that word remember was wonderfully full and appropriate. He might have said, pardon me, save me, bless me. But remember included them all. An interest in Christ's heart will include an interest in all his benefits. Moreover, this word was well suited to the condition of the one who uttered it. He was an outcast from society. Who would remember him? The public would think no more of him. His friends, perhaps, would be glad to forget him as having disgraced his family. 
but there is one with whom he ventures to lodge this petition. Lord, remember me. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me. We've looked at the you, but who is the me? It's the sinless Son of God, the King of the Jews, the Lamb of God, the suffering, sin-bearing servant of Isaiah 53. They crucify two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. This is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. We all like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the coming again, judge and king. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Hebrews 9, 28. With me. Jesus is Emmanuel God. God with us. John 14, 3, that where I am, you may be also. With Christ. Jesus answered, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Paradise. That word is a Persian word originally. It referred to an enclosed garden often a game preserve for hunting purposes, paradise. But it reminds us of Eden. But as we think of Eden, what was the heart of paradise? Again, Jesus said, today you will be with me. With me. Christians, one writer said, don't expect to find God in heaven. But we find our heaven in God. John Milton said, thy presence makes our paradise, and where thou art is heaven. Today you will be with me in paradise. That was true for that repentant, believing sinner. But as someone once said of Richard Sibbs, the Puritan, heaven was in the man before the man was in heaven. There are many blessings that we have today, even if today may not be the day that we enter glory. Jesus is with us today. Today, the Spirit is in us, the deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Today, in Christ, you are seated in heavenly places with Christ. Today, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Today, you have everything you need for life and godliness. Today, you are a child of God. But there is a paradise to come. The place of the special revelation of the glory of God and the sinless experience of that revelation. The Hebrew word for glory means weighty. And only heaven will be able to outweigh many of the things that you face and suffer in this life. For our light momentary afflictions are not worthy to be compared, said Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, to the glory that will far outweigh them all. 
I find myself saying that more and more to people. Say, tell me about what's happening in their lives. I just say there are some things that only heaven can outweigh. But it will. It will. What a saying this is of Jesus from the cross. A word of assured victory and comfort. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Charles Spurgeon said, and others had said it before him, there is one deathbed conversion in the Bible that none may lose hope. And it's here in Luke 23. This second saying, you see, it was seemingly a private word. That's the sense I think we get. Perhaps only Jesus and this man heard it. It was that personal, private interchange between this repentant, believing sinner and the Savior. I sometimes when I read this passage, wonder, I hope it's sanctified imagination, I wonder if this man's parents or brothers and sisters, or maybe even children, wife and children, were alive, or maybe were even there. And what they would have been thinking, knowing his life before, and seeing him crucified on the cross, perhaps from a distance, and not hearing what happened between that soul and the Savior that day. What a surprise, one writer said, that a man who had breakfast with the devil was saved at the 11th hour and that evening had supper with the lamb. And who knew? Who knew? Beloved, there is one deathbed conversion in Scripture that none may lose hope. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord knows those who are his. While there's breath, there's hope. I just heard yesterday of the death of a man that I had visited, spoke of the gospel, don't know his heart. Don't know. But the Lord does. And Jesus came to this world and said that he would lose none of those that the Father had given him. There is one deathbed conversion in Scripture that none may lose hope, but as many have said, there's only one that none may presume. Grace is real. Eleventh hour conversions can be real, but the thought and hope of an eleventh hour conversion can be abused. Uh, I'll wait. I'll wait. Today. Today is the salvation. Late repentances are seldom true, said Matthew Henry, but true repentance is never too late. But whether we're saved in the morning to work in the Lord's vineyard or saved just before quitting time, for all of us, it's all of grace. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, so that none may boast. As we come to the table this morning, Jesus said, This do in remembrance of me. May we all, by God's grace, remember the one who remembers his people.